Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com hb. Again, altitude-re.com hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, it is Brian Nemhauser and we are here for 42nd episode of Real Hawk Talk. I have to admit, I almost forgot about it completely. Um, frantically packing for myself and my son for a trip to London, going across the pond tomorrow uh, with some buddies and uh, my oldest. And then remembered... We have a podcast to do tonight. There was a big game this weekend. All sorts of things happened. And uh, with us, as always, is the intrepid uh, quartet. We've got uh, Evan Hill uh, at Evan on HB. Evan, good to see you, dude. Good to see you. It has been such a long time, Brian, since I've seen your wonderful face. (laughs) Yeah. I think we shared nachos not so many days ago. Uh, And then uh, Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. See if we get his mic turned up a little bit. You still there, Jeff? All right. He's a little muted today, folks. He, yeah, he's going to be very excited, but it's going to be a little bit muted from from the the, the microphone. Just just know he's really excited. Um, and then we've got Nathan at uh, Nathan E11 on Twitter. Nathan, what are we going to argue about today? I think we have lots of stuff we can argue about today. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's get into it. Yeah. Um. So so folks, I, look. We are going to start by talking about the Rams game, and we're going to just get general reactions, feelings uh, about how you felt. Then we are going to get back to what I got wrong, what each of us got wrong. Nathan would like it to be just about what I personally, Brian, got wrong, but we are going to make it a shared experience. Um, uh, and then there's a lot to talk about heading into what's going on through the rest of the season um, and what, from what we've seen, what is it going to mean um, going forward? So um, Evan, I was there at the game with you. That was fun. Um, you know, my son Isaac is, is now a, a big Evan on HB fan. He's a little bit of a fanboy. Uh, and, you know, I saw your emotions from before the game all the way through and to the end. Yeah. Share with, share with the uh, listening audience here. Where were you right after the game? What was your general reaction and where are you now? I was quite angry <laughs> after the game. You you know, Brian, you were doing all the talking, poking, game, trying to talk me into all the silver linings and how this was a moral victory and there's some really cool positives and I should feel good about this game. I was in one of those like quiet, angry modes where I, I was just pissed. And um, I'm still pissed. 
Um, but I want to compare this relatively to like the Cardinals game. I, I, I was way more pissed after the Cardinals win. After we won against the Cardinals, I was way more pissed. So I think the level of anger is definitely not um, – or level of upsetness is really not what it was at, at the Cardinals level. But um, you think I get crazy during games? Brian, you are the one who gets crazy during games. I – Everybody thinks I get like, well, I do get insane during games, but Brian is on another level. Like, it's almost scary. <laughs> I've been known to scare some people. It's not, it's not. And that's a compliment. That's not an insult. So, <laughs> Walk me through the fourth down play. What was going on? Evan, were you on a chair, under a table? Were you guys running in circles? Were you, could you watch? Wait, which play was this? The fourth down play. The last like when, when the Rams decided to go for it in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, we, Brian and I were actually watching it from a different view in the stadium. And as well, we were both at the game. Yeah. Oh, we were like, Oh, I think I've watched it at a restaurant or something. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah. So I'll, I'll just say the second I, they, you know, they went from punting formation to, um, you know, going for it in, you know, in person, it was kind of hard to tell that a timeout was even called. So there's kind of a bunch of chaos happening. Um, but me mentally, my personal reaction, the second that they went from punting formation to off, you know, they were going for it. I was like, it's game over. Like I, I they, the defense has been getting gashed all game. Um, I will say if Russell Wilson had gotten the ball back, I think the Seahawks win that game. So I think Sean McVay made the right call. Nathan, what about you? Where, where was, where was your head kind of going into this game? Um, where was it at the end and where are you now? Uh, it was a weird journey. I think, uh, like a lot of people, I did not expect them to have a chance in this game. And so I was very braced for it to be a blowout. And it took me a long time to kind of warm up to the fact that like, this could actually happen. Um, and then after the game, I was probably a lot more disappointed than I should have been because again, like they had no business probably even keeping it that close. Um, and the way they did it too, that they did it like scoring with the Rams. Like uh, I think that probably if you would have predicted a win, it probably would have been like, I think Brian, you did predict a win and it was like 17, 10 or something like that. Right. Like a low scoring game. And so they did, uh, it, there's probably a lot of silver line, lining out of that game. But by the end of the game, I talked myself into like, this could happen and that fourth down play. And if they didn't get it, they would have had it basically in field goal range already. We could have had our heart broken by Sebastian Janikowski uh yeah it was pretty depressing by the end of it all and where are you now um you know they had no business being that close to that game so silver linings take it as a positive moving forward hopefully all right jeff let's let's try hopefully your your mic's loud enough we can hear you where where, where were your where was your head in that game and, and where are you now similar to nathan i said on the show last week i thought they were gonna get killed um i was fully I'm in one of these survivor pools where you got to pick one team to win every week. And I was trying to convince my family to take the Rams against all my judgment. Good thing I didn't. Um, I didn't think they had a chance, to be honest, based on how the Arizona game. I was so upset last week just watching that Arizona game. And I found myself really encouraged even after the game. I know the fourth quarter. I was disappointed, obviously, in the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter was really upsetting because they could have won that game. But – I was really encouraged with how they played. It was the exact opposite, sort of like what Evan said from last game, even though they won and 
they looked last week they looked heartless and they looked like a team just going absolutely nowhere the fact that they showed some sort of identity and they, they looked like a legitimate team yeah the defense wasn't great and guys were running free wide open all day but McVay has done that to everyone this year Mike Zimmer with all those pro bowler players and the week before they scored 40 points against Minnesota so Seattle with a much more inferior defensive roster I'm not that surprised that guys are running open all game but man to me, the biggest surprise was the offensive line, just how they bullied guys like Sue. And every time they played the Rams in the past, Donald and Brockers have just smoked them. And the fact that they were – that Donald barely showed up other than that one sack. And Russell wasn't running for his life like a crazy person. And guys weren't getting hit five yards in the backfield every play. I was just really encouraged overall that the fact that they were able to go toe-for-toe toe and that they did use play-action passing. And they were hitting on deep balls. And Tyler Lockett was breaking free. And, and now – I'm at a point where I'm starting to believe that these guys kind of have something here. They're not a great team. I know we've said that all year. They're not, but they have a style that they can play. And that style is the way the offensive line can kind of set the tone and the way Russell Wilson can use the deep ball. It reminded me a lot of, I know a lot of people compare this season to 2011, kind of that transition year. It reminded me a lot of that 49ers game on Christmas where they went toe to toe with Harbaugh's 49ers and, Tavares Jackson was driving down the field at the end. I think he fumbled the ball. Marshawn Lynch scored like the only rushing touchdown against them all year. It was one of those things where you thought like, you know, these guys can go toe for toe with the best teams in the NFL if they play their style. But at the end, you're still disappointed that they couldn't pull it off because man, that would have been a crazy result. Yeah, it, it would have been nothing. And, and I think that uh, when I <laughs> – when I was going into that game, I mean, I I, I wrote about it, but I I I, I pre- picked on this show. I said, "Hey, feels like it's going to be a thirty-seven-seven blowout for the Rams." But I went ahead and picked the Seahawks to win twenty to seventeen, and there was a little part of me that believed that. But honestly, like I was braced for the team to to lose pretty badly, and I I don't understand how anyone. How anyone can see that game and not be encouraged? I, I don't. I really don't understand that because the Rams, not only are they ridiculously like the, the gap between their talent level and the Seahawks' talent level from a roster perspective is so huge. I mean, it's massive. And then just the difference between the Rams and the next best team in the NFL right now, I think, is pretty big. I think it's a pretty big like talent gap, at least. And then when you add in McVeigh's coaching, I mean, Evan and I were there, anyone that was watching in the stadium, like, yes, Cooper Cup's a good receiver and Robert Woods is a fine receiver and, you know, um, Brandon Cooks is a fine receiver, but I've seen them in other offenses as well. And so I have a decent feel for what, well, not Cup necessarily, but I've seen the other guys in other offenses. And they weren't making some incredible moves where they were running by guys. I mean, McVay's just scheming people open remarkably. I don't know how he does it. I don't know why no one else can do it. But uh, guys were open by like five, seven, eight yards, or they were catching the ball with a defender three or four yards behind them and nothing but open space in front of them. Like, this is a huge, huge uh, mismatch. And the Seahawks really were, I wouldn't say they were in control because they, they weren't, but they were like, I think most of us thought that they were going to win in that in that fourth quarter. Heading into that fourth quarter, it felt like the Seahawks were set up to win that game. That's crazy. I don't think if we had told 
the four of us, our now selves, that that was going to be the result a week ago when we recorded this podcast. We would have been ecstatic. Like, that would have been remarkable. So, I don't know. I, I very much agree with Jeff in, in talking through that we've now got an approach on offense that matches the personnel we have. Doesn't mean it's a high-scoring, you know, super-powered offense, but uh, I think that that can play week in, week out. So I'm really interested to see. Um, you know, uh, Evan, you did not get a chance to uh, to see uh, your boy Rashad Penny in the game, but now we've got Chris Carson and Mike Davis getting split reps. I mean, where are you at on on how the backfield's starting to shape up for the Seahawks? It's as it should be. I mean, Chris Carson is clearly better than Rashad Penny. That's not even a question. And it looks like Mike Davis is probably better than Rashad Penny right now without question. So I, I think it's a, just a current reflection of their current talent. And that's not to say like Penny could still be like the future back. You know, we're only, what, five games into his career. So maybe a year, two years down the road with a little more experience under his belt, maybe Penny will have a stronger opportunity to contribute um now that doesn't mean the pick was a smart pick but you know just just looking at his future prospects he's there's just not going to be many opportunities right now barring an injury from chris carson or or mike davis um the one thing i would like to see a little more consistently is uh put rashad penny returning kicks and we talked about this brian like i'd love to see him get more special teams opportunities um frankly lockett to me is too important as a receiver to risk injury on kick returns i would keep them at punt returns but i'd love to get i'd love to see penny take over full-time uh kick return duties so I, I think they're finally making the right decision when it comes to penny i'm a little frustrated with how they treated this running back group early on in the season but hey if they continue to like trend in this direction i'm happy with how they're allocating carries so oh. yeah i mean yeah. to the idea about how they use the running backs early and and finally using play action while it's probably a positive going forward, it's incredibly frustrating that they botched that so badly early in the year. Like the whole Chris Carson, like getting benched in that bears game, uh, you know, Penny getting run over Mike Davis, um, just not using play action and saving it for week five. Like they lost that game by two points and they, I, I, I don't know they kind of threw the kitchen sink, uh, sink at the Rams. And it, it just seems like if they had been playing this way all along, and if they continue to play this way going forward, they might not be two and three, right? They probably, they, they obviously still lose that Rams game, but they would have lost that whether they had sat on plays or not. And so it's frustrating to look back and think that they really pulled punches earlier in the year in two games that ended up being pretty close. Is that so? You you see it as them pulling punches. What I do, and I think that they, there's a history of this too. Like the one, that, the game I think about is that Redskin game last year, where you know they clearly didn't take Washington seriously. That was a game where Eddie Lacy got a ton of run, and they were saving plays for future opponents, and they're just not good enough to do that. And I don't, I don't know if it makes sense to do even if you are good. But clearly, they don't have the talent to sit on plays like that. Like, wh where else did the play action go? Yeah, well, 
It's interesting. So I have a different read of, of how that played out. I have the same frustration or at least similar frustration. Um, you know, I think that they came out in the first two weeks and they were focusing on the wrong things. They were making choices based on the wrong criteria. Like they were, my guess, I don't know this part, this is pure conjecture, but I think Schottenheimer was either Schottenheimer or Pete, one of them, um, came out and wanted to pass more like that, that they, they kind of like decided that whether it's analytics or anything else, that that was going to be something that they were going to emphasize more. And they were going to say, Hey, if there's too many men in the box, we're not going to run or whatever it was, but they had something and they had different guidelines and a different approach in terms of personnel. We talked about it. I think that they, whoever it was in the organization decided they needed to see their first round pick. And they were convinced that, everything they had seen in practice and in training camp and, and in preseason was a mirage and he was Sean Alexander and you just had to get him on the field in a real game and he was going to blow up into um, something interesting. So that's, I mean, that's kind of how I saw that at some point they course corrected and said, no, we are going to run. We're going to, you know, we, we may couple, we did the wrong thing. We're going to get back to running more often. Um, we talked about it, whether it was last week or the week before, they changed their neutral game scripts runs. It was 61.5% on first and second down in the first three quarters. They were running, they were passing the ball. The last, you know, the game three and four, it was 37% that they were passing the ball in those situations. So they made a huge change in their approach. And the personnel thing, I mean, God. Yeah, uh, we've, we've beaten that with a dead horse, uh, into a dead horse if it wasn't already. So I 100%, like there's zero part of me that thinks that they would have lost both of those first games if they had been playing this style of football. I, I absolutely think they at least get one win, and it's not hard for me to be convinced they could have gotten both. Um, they, they just pissed those games away for sure. It feels like they play to their level of competition. Like and this this feels like a Pete Carroll thing going back several years. And I had this conversation on Twitter with several different people. But I mean, based on how they played on Sunday, they should blow out the Raiders. I don't I don't think that's going to happen. It feels like this team under Pete Carroll has always played down to their competition, up to their competition level. Like analyze like the Bears game versus the freaking Rams game. These are two different teams completely. And it's frustrating to see. I think the thing that frustrates me the most is what you said, Nathan, is the is the lack of play action in those first two games. That makes no sense to me. Russell Wilson's like one of the best play action quarterbacks in the NFL. And I mean, he's just so good. Like, do it. Yeah, if they were if they were listening to analytics and that's why they their run pass or they played the game the way they did it in the first couple of weeks, they would have run play action more. Like analytics is telling you not to run, but like one, I don't think they're listening to that at all. And two, analytics tells you to play action pass. It To me, it's like not even analytics. It's mind-numbingly like basic logic. Like, have you seen Russell Wilson's highlights on play action? Like, he's just good. Whatever reason, suddenly like magic juju infests his spirit. And, you know, he throws receivers open on 60-yard touchdowns. I, just do it. Do what you're good at. And they refused to do it the, past, the first couple of weeks. And it was really frustrating, to be quite honest. Jeff, you look like you were trying to get in there. Well, I just – the strange part about it was the preseason – this is kind of the team they looked like all preseason, right? I know. 
that's what it was just such a shift from what seems so obvious like david moore like david moore was getting down the field in the preseason and making big plays and all of a sudden they decide to use him down the field and not bring out the corpse of brandon marshall five times a game and it's just it was it was mind-blowing just those game plans with chris carson who just looked chris carson looked incredible in the preseason the way he like ran on the vikings and the fact that he got like what eight carries in the first week or six carries i found that more frustrating in hindsight because at least one of those games you should have won like well yeah and here's the i mean first of all in the play action it was from what i remember looking at the numbers 14 percent of russell's pass attempts for play action in the first two weeks uh went up to 20 percent in the you know two weeks following and then this past week i think it was like over 50 percent or something like that so they're they're clearly um there is a trend even before this game that's why i was kind of asking nathan about holding stuff back i feel like one of my one of my hypotheses, which may be completely off. So, so this is for the Ben Baldwin's and 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 Nathan's of the world, who, you know, talked about how how having an effective run game has apparently no statistical impact on the effectiveness of your play action. It's very counterintuitive, but there's a lot of good numbers to indicate that there's really not a a relationship. There's not a strong correlation there, or really any correlation there. I have some questions about it, but I'm going to trust that that's true for the time being. The reality is that people are not computers and they're not all reading the same things. And even if they do see that, they may just completely not believe it. And so my hypothesis is that the coaches need to believe that the run is somehow threatening the defense in order to call more play action. It's a human error thing. It's just a you know part of being a, a person. And so they see that they're being more effective with the run and they're like, ah, we got them now. We're going to throw more play action and they're going to fall for it. It is also possible, we got to leave it out there, and the analytics folks will hate this, it is also possible that there is something that is missing from analytics that cannot be detected here, that actually because they are being effective running, that play action is more effective or more open or, or something to that effect. I don't know everything about football and actually didn't play growing up, so um, there is the potential that there's something there. I know any player you talk to, Absolutely believes that there's a huge, cor- you know, a huge connection between effective running and effective play action. So there's something going on there, but there's at least the human element that I think is playing a role. Okay, so I am willing to make a concession here on the podcast on behalf of all passing Twitter, in exchange for trying to advance this discussion a little bit. Okay, Ooh. so and Brian, I think you had a, a sneak peek of this this morning uh, or last night. So, running matters. What? Oh! I'm gonna say it again. (laughs) I'm gonna say it again. I'm gonna say it again. Running matters. What? Running matters because, of course, it matters. This this whole thing about whether running matters or not, like, there's a point to the conversation, but it's gotten completely lost, and the discussion has suffered for it. Right? Running matters because runs are plays, and you're frantically trying to tweet this out that I'm talking about running mattering it now. All right, runs matter because running are plays and all plays matter. If you run a play and it's bad, that's bad and that hurts your team. And if you run a play and it's good, that's good and it helps your team. What running does not do is anything beyond the success on that play. 
if you run and it's bad, it's bad, period. End of story. It doesn't have some magical property. It doesn't help you run play action. Now, yeah, it doesn't help you wear down a defense, right? All this stuff. Or if it does... So you have people that say, well, I played the game and I know that if I played a team that was good at running the ball, I bit harder on play action. Maybe you did. But the question is, does that extra step that you would take matter? Does the extra step take? Does the, uh, does the, does the extra step matter? Does the fatigue matter? No, none of that stuff, if it happens, matters. There's no evidence that running more helps you run better at the end of the game. Maybe defensive tackles do get more tired if you run more, but it doesn't actually help you. Maybe running more helps that linebacker take an extra step, but all you really need to do is freeze the linebacker. So yes, maybe running has some of these effects that people talk about, but when it comes to actually doing anything beyond the yards and the success of that play, running doesn't matter. Say it again. Running matters. Yeah. It's a play. Yes. All plays matter. All plays yes. matter. Oh, my God. I just, uh, yeah. Thank uh, you. Does that feel good to say, Nathan? No, because then I said all <laughs> plays matter, and that made me feel really sad, actually. <laughs> but, yes. I love it. Runs matter because if you waste a play on a, uh, if you waste an offensive play on a bad play, it's bad. It, it matters. It hurts your team. Thank you. That's all we've ever asked for, Nathan, is a little nuance. Like, it, it, you know, a little <laughs> really nuance. Shades though, of gray, but, dude. No, that's an honest step forward. Right? Well, I just think that, like, I, I think that this idea that, like, does running matter or not, like, I think there's reasons why we why it was said, and I think that those reasons are true. Like, again, I don't think running helps passing. It doesn't help play-action passing. Running early doesn't help you run late. All those things are myths. I, I mean, there's tons of evidence that debunk all of those things. But if you call a run, it's going to affect your team because the play did it. <laughs> yeah. So, so in 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 summary, all right. Like, let me let me play this back to you in in all its glory. Doing something well is better than doing something poorly. Of course. Right? Of course. I think we can agree to that. So. Yeah. If you are better at running and you you run a, a successful running play, that is better than running a poor running play. So that's but, pretty... Totally. But now there's still a fair question of, should you run? Now, so that's the other piece. So there then there's also, building on this, passing is, you know, better than running in most cases. Right. That's that's is that. Am I still tracking to your your line of thought? Yes, with few exceptions, passing is better than running. Yeah. So, ah, oh, oh man, this is like, this is fantastic. I feel like you <laughs> just derailed the pod. <laughs> oh man, like this is great. I feel like we should all sing "Kumbaya" after that. I feel amazing. Oh man, I, I'm also. I I mean, Evan, I'm a little sad. Like, there, there's this 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 uh, righteousness that we're gonna lose now um, from <laughs> this conversation because this is this is like Republicans and Democrats coming together and actually deciding to uh, have a productive conversation. I mean, what's going on here, guys? I mean, I want to be clear again. 
running is bad. <laughs> it matters because it's a play, but unfortunately running is more often than not the wrong thing to do. So like, I want to, like my anti-run stance is still like very much there, but yeah, this whole, like this conversation about on like on Twitter constantly now, does running matter or not? Like, oh my God. Yes, of course. It's a play. It matters. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And that's all we're asking. That's all I need. I don't think anybody disagrees, like, on average. No, a lot of people disagree. (laughs) Really? Like, passing is better than running? Really? Like, on average? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, I don't know about on average, but oh, my God. Yes. People people disagree. What? I think that's insane. Like, well, I mean, they're... There, there, there are people on all sides. Like, God, guys, you're all on Twitter enough. You have enough people that talk to you that you know there's people on the lunatic fringe of all sides of any topic. So that's just the reality. I do think there's a lot of there's a lot of history to football and and belief that are probably myths um, around running. And football is a toughness sport, and people see it as a, a way to establish an identity and all that kind of stuff. And I think Pete's really clearly made it a central part of his philosophy. So it's not, not it's understandable that people are going to be all over the place on this topic, but for something like passing matters, um, Twitter, um, as I will now start to refer to you, um, or passing matters more, we'll have to come up with something catchier. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot to add to the conversation. Uh, I feel like I've learned from what's been brought. I think almost my complete frustration has been associated with the what felt like a myopic, um, you know, inflexible, uh, intractable point of view um, on the fact that, of course, there's plays that that make a difference if you're good at running than than bad. So. Anyway, uh, that was fantastic. I'm going to take this pod and I'm going to kind of roll it up and sleep on it tonight and cuddle. It'll be great. Um, so that was actually a great kind of kickoff. And Nathan will will not want this to be associated with what I got wrong because Correct. you know this I, was not, I, I still feel I'm not wrong about running. <laughs> I just wanted to like let's let's talk about this in a more intelligent way. I like that. I and we're not gonna not gonna harass you too much about it right now i'm going to think of things later but not right now um so guys uh i'm filibustering a little bit because i want to give you time to think about it but this is the what i got wrong segment um this can be uh talking about something about this last game that you got wrong it could be something about a player that coming into this season perhaps you thought differently than than what they're doing now and you got it wrong it could be um about something even outside the Seahawks um, related to other things happening in the league that, that uh, you've really got wrong. So point here is to uh, show some, show some, show some humanity. Um, and Jeff, uh, I'm kind of curious if, if, uh, Oh yeah. Do you have something that jumps to mind uh, that, that you feel like you got wrong? Is that to me? Yeah, I know you've been, you've been tweeting about this a lot and I know the pass blocking numbers, their efficiency has really gone up the last couple of weeks. And yeah, the, the Arizona game, you saw a turn and like, I think you uh, you said they're the fifth rated passing block efficiency for pro football focus entering the game. And I did not think there was a chance they'd be able to block Aaron Donald and Donald Sue and Brockers just based on what's happened in the past. And 
I just thought those guys would wreck the game plan. I thought it'd be so easy once the Rams got up to completely crush, you know, the run game and the pass pro. And I was so surprised with a play of the Seahawks offensive line. And Tom Cable seems to be as bad or worse than we thought he was because Mike Solari has turned this group. So that's something Nathan and Evan definitely got right. But um, this group looks by every measure since Fluker's come in, a top 10 offensive unit is an offensive line. And that breaks a lot of narratives nationally because everyone likes to laugh at Seattle's offensive line. But maybe I'm seeing things different. I got that wrong. I thought at best they'd be average, maybe 20th, but top 10 unit. And maybe it's a mirage based on who they've played, but they've played Chandler Jones. Marcus Lawrence, uh, Sue, Donald, Brockers the last three weeks. I did, I did not see that coming. Mike Solari's done a hell of a job. Jermaine Fetty's playing well, functional. I probably still Evans thing right there. Um, <laughs> Fluker's been good. Sweezy, a left guard, has been really good. And Sweezy looked like a guy the first couple weeks that was swimming. And uh, I just didn't see this coming. All right, Evan. Yeah, I think uh... – my take was specifically in reference to the Rams games this past this past weekend. Brian, I don't know if you remember me saying this, but I believed right before the game. I said there were two things that I thought must occur for the Seahawks to win that game on Sunday. Number one, it was keep the Rams to under twenty points on offense, and number two, get a minimum of two turnovers to win the game. Uh, they, I believe, they got two picks: uh, Tedra Thompson just before the half, and then Frank Clark. Um, in that like first or second drive uh, after the botched punt. But I really did not expect this team to be able to keep up offensively with the Rams this past Sunday. Um, I thought this was going to be a low scoring game. If Seattle had any chance, I thought their defense was going to come out balling. But as we know, Sean McVay and in all of his brilliance schemed guys wide open receivers were open all day long even the practice squad players that were playing in uh, Cook's and uh, Coop's absence, players were wide open all day long. It's not like Jared Goff was making amazing throws. These were receivers with literally like five to six yards of separation. Throws that I potentially could have made as a quarterback in the National Football League. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm impressed that this offense hung in there on Sunday. Um, it, it's just weird that they were able to put it all together against this team and it goes back to the playing up to the competition discussion but i was wrong about that i was wrong that the seahawks could not keep up offensively with the rams and they did and they almost won the game so you know credit to them all right nathan i'm gonna i'm gonna go next here and then i'll hand it to you so you're gonna steal my thing i know it really uh i think so i don't know I doubt it. So I, I, I'm i going to say two things, and I'm, I'm pretty confident neither of them are yours. Um, and if they are, I was wrong about that too. Um, but uh, the first one is, honestly, guys, I've had no confidence in Brian Schottenheimer as, a, as an offensive coordinator. Um, you know, uh, and I especially didn't think there was something he was going to do that was going to be the best in the NFL. I definitely didn't believe that. And so the Seahawks are sitting there number one in the NFL in red zone offense. Um, no way in a million years did I expect the Seahawks, who, by the way, Russell Wilson has historically not been a great red zone quarterback, um, a team that scored 
zero red zone rushing touchdowns last year, um, that they were going to be number one in the NFL in red zone offense through five weeks against some pretty decent defenses. So that's, that's something I definitely got wrong. Was that yours, Nathan? Nope. Okay. And two, I, I thought Michael Dixon was going to be a lot more consistent than he's been. I think he has not been good enough. Um, I don't think he's he's living up to my expectations. And ring, ring of honor status? No, not at this point. I, I felt like he really let the team down last game. I think something that nobody talked about was his complete choke um, on the final drive after the Seahawks had to punt. Um, he had a short field. He could have pinned the team back. Evan knows I was saying he better get this inside the 10. He shanked it off his foot. It went out of bounds like the 30 or the 25 or something like that. I mean, it's like a 10 or 15-yard punt. Um, not good enough. Not good enough. Nowhere near my expectations for how good he's going to be. So um, that's that's my second. All right. Well, nobody stole mine. So, well, Jeff, maybe a little. But um, the thing I was wrong about was definitely uh, DJ Fluker and J.R. Sweezy. Mm-hmm. Uh both of those guys have been very good. Um, I didn't have expectations at all for either of them other than Fluker, who I thought would be bad. Um, but he hasn't been bad. I, I didn't understand the Sweezy signing at all. Um, but, you know, especially now with uh, Pozik being hurt and really losing his job to Sweezy, like it's it's apparent that, that was a, a really good signing for Seattle. And so um, both of those guys have been huge surprises. I think it's been a big part of why the offensive line has been successful. Um, and I was way off on both of them. Well, I, I feel the need to keep going. I was wrong about Brandon Marshall being able to contribute to this team. Mm. I, was I was not wrong, wrong about Brown Marshall being able to contribute to this team. Like, where the hell has Jaron Brown been? Everyone talks about Brandon Marshall. Like, Brown has been completely absent. Like, what's going on there? He's a third, fourth string receiver. That's what he's been all his career, and that's what he still is. He got beat out by... I mean, you got Doug back now, and Tyler is balling out, and David Moore is ascending, and Jerome Brown is a very nice fourth receiver. Is he? <laughs> I mean, I just haven't seen anything from. I mean, I guess he got one touchdown. Um, but Brian, you're being affected by your emotional attachment to him in preseason, like I was, and you saw him in training camp, and you saw him getting targets on targets on targets, and like seven receptions for a cabillion yards in the scrimmage game. I know exactly what you're talking about. You got emotionally attached to the hype, just as I did. And I, I think it's your expectation level that. I guess, I guess. Like, it's also like having watched him in Arizona for the past few years. I mean, the guy, he hurt us definitely a few times. But um, whatever the case, he has been a nothing, pretty a nothing burger so, so, so far. So. Um, that was that was a, a, a fun little trip quick, down what I got wrong lane. Oh, Evan, do you have more you want to add before we close this not, segment? Uh, not more things I have wrong because I'm never wrong about anything, especially burger takes. Um, but the, just thinking about the Austin, wait, 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 wait. I made not, a concession about the running stuff. I feel like do you have something you want to get off your chest to now, Evan, oh, about man. dicks and in and out? What is that where we're going with this? No, absolutely not. It's a safe place right now. It's not, like, it's not all, a safe place. We're <laughs> all being very honest. No, there's like it's okay. just the three of us. Oh, I of have us. a concession. I, I have a burger concession. Oh boy. Burger King is better than Dick's Burgers. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, I, that's the thing. I'm not even kidding. 
Not kidding. All right, but on to my real Seahawks take. I think they quietly had a good offseason in terms of um, offseason signings. I know we just talked about Jaron Brown or Jerron Brown not being – well, I mean, I guess there's still time on that. But when you think about it, Bradley McDougal, 4.5 mil a year, three years. He's playing like as a top three safety right now. He's a stud. Um, J.R. Sweezy and DJ Fluker both look really good. Um, and they're both on minimum deals, right? J.R. Sweezy was just hanging out there. No team wanted him. And Solari's doing a lot of good work with him. Um, I'm trying to think of other moves. Mingo. Mingo has quietly produced, you know, here and there. I think he, he, he made some good tackles. And, um, yeah, I think they had a quietly good offseason, honestly. Brought McNugal back, too. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of feel personally like I need to have a what I got right segment. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> want to go with that. I, I got a couple of things on my chest. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go for it. Okay. Well, I had a lot of debate with guys on Twitter over the offseason about Tyler Lockett. Ah, yes. That's one. And the biggest thing I didn't understand, a lot of people were bringing up, like, we didn't replace Paul Richardson. We didn't replace Paul Richardson. And to me, the thing I just didn't understand is, Prior to last year, Paul Richardson had never had a consistent season. And Richardson was great last year. So I don't understand why the idea of like 2018 Lockett was so different than 2000, well, essentially what Richardson was going into 2017. I know he had those playoff games at the end, but like he had never had a consistent regular season. And this idea that Lockett coming off a major injury declining was like his career was done or something. I personally didn't think it was a good signing when they signed Lockett. So I've, wasn't fully right about this, but I really believe that he could match or outdo the production that Richardson had last year. Look at the numbers. He might blow him out of the ballpark. And I did not, I, I was, I was high on Lockett. I've always liked him as a match with Russell, just the ability to separate downfield, but he looks a lot better than Richardson did. Do you want to see, do you want to talk about real quick so far? Paul Richardson has already missed two games. He has 13 receptions for 181 yards, one touchdown, and a 13.9-yard average uh, catch per yards. And Tyler Lockett is 347 yards, 17.3 average for touchdowns. So Lockett's off to a hot start. I had a lot of debate on Twitter all summer. Everyone, I know me and Ben got into it a couple times, and I've learned a lot from Ben, so I don't want to feel like I'm taking shots at him. But he taught me a lot about football. He's going to listen. But I was right, and you were wrong about this. <laughs> <laughs> that is rare because he's, he's good, man. I learned a lot from that guy. But I'm happy about that one. Uh, that was definitely one of mine. I mean, I I felt like I was, I was like, at some sort of therapy session this past offseason where I was like, I'm betting on Lockett. I'm so sure that he was going to come back. And, you know, um, that's I won't pile on, but but that was definitely one of them. Another one for me is we've talked about this a fair amount, but um, one it was such a bad, bad, bad choice to select a running back in the first round. Such a bad choice. I was right about that. I wasn't alone, but I was also right that God, Will Hernandez. I mean, it was such an obvious pick. It was yeah, exactly I, I... what they needed. He was so projectable as a player. Like that was so much of a better choice. Like you lose Sweezy and Fluker. I mean, I'm happy with Sweezy and Fluker now. Will I be happy in two years that that we <laughs> that yeah. got a guy with no knee? 
They could have selected see, Harold Landry, though. See, that's where I would have gone. Landry's the other one was everybody. Like, these weren't guys that were like, oh, in retrospect, those, yeah, they're doing well now. Everybody was talking about Landry and Hernandez. Like, these were like obvious choices. Edge Rusher was such an obvious hole on their roster. Like, beyond Frank, they had Deion Jordan, who had never consistently done anything. They had, who was it? The guy from Philly, Marcus Smith, behind him. Like, that was such a glaring hole. They got rid of Bennett inexplicably. inexplicably. That trade isn't working out at all. Um, Gosh. That's been great. And he started off really slow, so I I didn't see it the first couple weeks. He's been really, really good the last couple weeks. And, man, edge rusher was such an obvious hole, and every game this pass rush is just so weak outside of Clark. And, man, Harold Landry. I project them in our mock draft. I did for our side at 18. I would have been happy with them there. 29 or 28th, oh man, they, they blew that pick so bad. Nathan, you're, you're quiet. I, there's got to be things that you want to talk about that you got right after you know some of your important admissions today. We talk about the things I get right all the time, so I don't need to take up. I feel like you guys need to space more than I do. So. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, let's let's turn our attention ahead. Um, you know, the Seahawks are, are traveling to London and I don't, I don't think we need to spend a bunch of time talking about this, but I was a little surprised to see the, the Seahawks travel schedule and how they're planning to approach this game. They're not traveling until like Thursday or something like that. Um, and they're, from what I understand, they're not even staying afterwards. They're like basically just turning right around like a normal game schedule. Is that like show up for any of you um, as worth talking about? No. No one's too excited. I think it's weird. Um, but looking ahead at this game, um, the, the Raiders, from what I've seen, are basically defensively allowing more yards per play than pretty much any defense in history. <laughs> they're pretty bad right now. Um, offensively, they're okay. And, of course, we're going to see Marshawn Lynch. You know, Evan, you started talking about how, look, they should blow the Raiders out based on how they've played, but um, they probably won't. They'll play down. What are you kind of expecting to see in this game? Are the CX, for example, are they going to be able to establish the run? They better. They better. Pete Carroll's talking about consistency, bringing this week to week. Every single week he talks about this. I want to see them play past their freaking competition for a game. Bring what you brought to the Rams and bring it to the freaking Raiders. Show that you have any semblance of consistency. I am so frustrated with the inconsistency of this team. I agree with the take that if you are inconsistent, you are bad. So be consistent. Be who you are. Establish the running game if that's what you're going to do. Establish it. Be good at it. You know, don't give Rashad Penny a single freaking carry. You know, I, I just want to see this offense click. I want to see play action. I want to see what they did against the Rams, but against the Raiders. And I know that's not what we're going to see. And it's so frustrating because it's so predictable. So I, I hope they come out clicking on all cylinders, but I I just think this is a Pete Carroll frustration that has gone on for years. Dude, they didn't score a touchdown in their first possession against the Rams, but they did on their second. Can we end that curse? Please. And they, and they did. They did the first possession of the second half. That drive was a thing of beauty. Uh, coming out of halftime. How, how many years ago was it? Was it three, four years ago? They last scored a touchdown on the first drive. I think I was a teenager. 
I was a teenager when they last scored a touchdown on their opening drive. You still are a teenager, Evan. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm about to reach adulthood. <laughs> yeah, it's just embarrassing. Can that streak please end, for the love of God? This could be the week. This is possible. Um, so, so Jeff, um, curious your thoughts about what you're expecting this week. And uh, I'd also, you know, KJ Wright or Shane Green have already been counted out. Um, those two guys have missed a bunch of time. I'm starting to wonder about whether KJ is coming back at all. I still think they, it was all set up, like we said last week, for KJ to return after the bye. But it doesn't seem like he's making much progress at all. That's pretty bad for him in a contract year and on a team that's kind of going away from older players. And I think he'll be back, though, but that early, like only be at a couple weeks projection doesn't look good. And Mingo got a lot of snaps and nickel, which surprised me because all week they seem to be talking about Austin Kalitro, big opportunity for him. I think he played like four snaps. So um, Rasheem Green, it seems like he's got a high ankle sprain. I don't know if they can let it announce that yet, but just based on the timeline. And so that's a four week injury. And it's like a guy who hasn't really shown up at all after a, kind of a really breakout preseason. It's a lot like Frank Clark's first year. Well, Frank dominated the second-tier players in the preseason, and then once the real season started, for whatever reason, he barely got snaps. But in terms of your question, I, I'm sort of like Evan, and I'm expecting a very frustrating game. When I, the Seahawks just don't beat up on weak teams, and the Raiders are a sinking ship this year. That team is terrible. And it seems like they're almost tank. A lot of people who follow the team think they're tanking. And Gruden thought the roster was so bad, he traded away Khalil Mack to set them up for the future. Their defense has almost no playmakers. Their offense, their car is as bad as the stats have indicated. He's been playing terribly. And outside of Marshawn, really no one has really stepped up for them. And they got a lot of money invested in their offensive line, which has hurt the rest of their team because they're not balanced. So really the Seahawks should beat them up pretty good. But I don't know. What, based on the past history, Evan said it. I just can't expect it. I don't know why. Maybe I'll be as wrong as I was last week, but I'm expecting an ugly game when the Seahawks pull out at the end and we're pulling our hair out for three hours and a game they should usually win. And one of Pete's models is this championship opportunity thing. Every week's a championship opportunity. We don't take teams lightly. But if that's the case, it seems like another hollow Pete message because, yeah, even like the record on Monday night, why is that so good compared to their record against bad teams? And why do they usually not blow teams out right away? And can you only win in the fourth quarter? Like, I, I hate that one. Um, I'd like to see them blow someone out, attack them. Their defensive line stinks. Like, you should be able to go crazy. But I don't know if the offensive line will be as motivated as they were to stop Sue and Donald. And maybe for the return of Bruce Irvin. I don't know. But I'm expecting one of these Arizona type of games that they scrape by at a game they should usually win. Yeah. So, so Nathan, um, as, as Jeff was kind of alluding to, um, I was looking at some stats around the Seahawks offensive line uh, in the past, I think it's the past three weeks since DJ Fluker has joined. They're the second best pass blocking offensive line in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, looking at pressures allowed, that's pressures, that's QB hits, um, hurries, hits, or sacks. Um, and the Raiders defense is one of the worst pass rushing defenses in the NFL. Um, you know, we've also seen the Seahawks offensive line clear some paths for the run game of late. Is it fair 
to say that the Seahawks offensive line is a or one, depending on if you want to do fingers here. Uh, one of the 10 best in the NFL and B is it fair to say the Seahawks offensive line is a strength of this team? I, I think the first one is a little hard to quantify. I think the second one is looking like it's probably true. Um, they look solid. They they look like they can kind of do do what they want. They can run a little bit. They can pass a little bit. Like they're you know pass pro and run pro or run blocking or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think that they're a, a really solid unit. Um, and this isn't a game where they should be tested much. Um, the, the, I mean, you guys talked about it. The Oakland defense is really bad. Um, the offense, their passing game is actually eighth in DVOA. But I don't know. The combination of going on the road and then, like Evan was talking about, them kind of playing up or down to their competition and, you know, or, or are they going to try to stash plays again? Like, is play action going to disappear on them? I feel like this could be one where it could be really frustrating. Like, uh, I'm nervous about this game that they're not going to take it seriously. All right. I'm going to come out and say the Seahawks are going to win this game by 20 plus. That's what I think is going to happen. Um, I think the Seahawks just faced their toughest opponent of the season. Um, they measured themselves against them. They saw that they were able to physically push them around in a lot of ways, especially on offense. And, saw the best offense they're going to see all year. You know, Chiefs offense is great as it is. It's not, it's not the Rams offense. Um, I think Russell's going to get along just fine over there in London. And I think that uh, that running game travels. I think it, it matters where you are. I think they're going to start. I think that they found themselves in the past couple of weeks in terms of how they want to approach the game. And I think it's, it's going to be like they've been, uh, in a low gear, um, and now they're just going to be end up racing downhill. Um, this is the same team that nearly lost to the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm well, well aware. Um, and this is a guy that's been pretty down after the first two weeks of, of how they're playing. I really believe in the formula that they're approaching with. I think it maximizes the talent they've got, which is not a lot, but it's enough. Um, and I see them going in there and, and – I'm going to say that they're going to put up like over 30 points. Um, I think they're going to win like say 31-17, 33-17, something like that. Um, yeah. That's not quite 20 points. So let me make it a uh, make it 37-17. Just field grass turf. What is it over there? It's grass. Everything over there is grass. Dude. They, they they don't play soccer on turf. So that's actually one of their big concerns is that the American boys are going to come over there and tear up their so. I don't know the the home road thing right now looks like it could be a big deal. Like they they nearly lost to Arizona, who looks like one of the bottom three teams in the NFL. They lost to Denver, who does not look good. Although there's a lot of caveats with that. They lost to Chicago, who does look good, but again, like just looked like crap. And yeah, this uh, you know I guess the running game travels. I don't really know if there's anything beyond that behind that idea, but like. This is a team that has not seen a lot of consistent offensive success, and what they have seen has been at home. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I I would not be confident in this game at all. So where what are you predicting then? 
I think they win because I don't believe in Derek Carr either, even though that they're in DVOA that they've been a good passing team, but and they just put a lot of points up on a good uh, Browns team, but Browns defense. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be miserable. I think it could be a lot like the Cardinals game. So funny note about Derek Carr. I took a little bit of a deep dive into Raiders subreddit the other day after I think maybe they lost this weekend. They won this weekend. I don't know. I'm not sure. They won. But anyways, the top comment on one of their like post game threads was how they would be able to get out of the car contract by cutting him. Raiders fans are completely upset with car, like completely done with him. And it's just, it's funny to see like the fan and mainstream narrative shift on somebody who became like the highest paid player for a brief amount of time. It was like 25 million a year, I think. So Evan, what are you predicting in this game? I'm, I'm predicting, I'm predicting a frustratingly, close win one of those things where russell wilson pulls it out on the last drive i could see our offense stuttering pretty hard and i could see them i could see this being a low scoring game like 2013 something like that um i'm I'm curious to see how they travel with this game just because you know it's it's cross continental and and uh it's a 10 a.m game too so you've got the whole um jet lag factor playing maybe playing a contribution here so we'll see what happens it affects both teams but i i don't see them blowing it out like you do jeff yeah i'm with uh evan and nathan on this and again i hope i'm wrong i see like a 23 17 that worse the weather up six points at the end and you got to hold them and hope they don't get that touchdown and one of those games I think the fact that they did lose last game does help Brian's prediction. If they won last game, I could have definitely seen an emotional letdown coming after that game, just maybe not taking the Raiders seriously, maybe buying into themselves. Maybe there's frustration. Maybe there's anger that they did blow that game because really they're a couple of mental errors away from winning that game. And that would have been crazy. So hopefully Brian's right because I, I just want one Seahawks game that's somewhat stress-free. I don't know if that's possible. I just want to be comfortable in the first quarter. I, I just yeah. want to like relax for three quarters, and I've never been gifted that as a Seahawks fan. Except- I think there's only like two games, and that was like the one where they won like 58 nothing. The back to back Cardinals yeah, and, and the Bills game. I covered the Bills game. They're up. I think the Russell Wilson had like four touchdowns in the first quarter, and it's like, why can't they ever play like that? Like every game. God, you guys are such whiny. Like, <laughs> oh, I, why I'm can't my football team win by forty points I every know. week? Yeah, I'm a bitch about it. <laughs> I'm like twenty years of my life. Oh I'm like my a 45. god! If I was listening to this, I'd be like, ah, I am listening. What was that game against like CJ <laughs> last year? They won like ten six. <sighs> yeah, the, the, the game that they won. Ah, oh, that sucked. Yeah, it was painful. <laughs> it was painful, man. I mean, we also I just had that Browns fan and just could watch them lose for seventeen years in a row. Yeah, we gotta complain about something. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be something nice about like not worrying, though, right? Like as a Browns fan, like there's no stress involved. I actually know a Browns fan and he would talk himself into the Browns every year, which was absurd, but like it's, yeah, it's gotta be nice. There's no stress. You can just like enjoy your team getting stomped every week. Well, there, there, there are my, we, last week games. So I, I, I mean, I had very low expectations for the Seahawks this season. It has made these games a lot easier for me um, in general. <laughs> so we can all do that, but yeah, I mean, 
it, it certainly could be frustrating. I, I have to change the subject one last thing before we let you guys go because it was I forgot about it and it was so bizarre that I just have to hear your live feeds on your live reactions. So Tedrick Thompson's first start in place of Earl Thomas, huge moment. I'm pretty sure all of us thought he played a really bad game or at least not a very good one. Pro Football Focus, I think, had him as the highest rated defender and like gave him an elite grade, like over 90. Did did any of you did any of you guys see that? You shared it in our DM, so I think we did see it. Yeah, but like <laughs> him playing that oh. like that. I did not. I haven't gone back and rewatched the defense on all 22. And maybe he was doing something amazing back there. But like I said, I think that has to be a typo. I don't think that can be real. And don't they review their grades as the week goes on? So they sure do. It, couldn't there be an update on that? Maybe it could be. I honestly, I've been checking this year. I'm not seeing those grades change. Okay. Like they've definitely done that in the past, but I did have not seen that this year. I'm going okay. back and checking this again because is i mean while i'm doing this like did anyone think that he played well regardless of whether he played elite i don't I think, think he played as badly as some people are saying that's quite a hot take yeah they've got him as a 90.3 which yeah. elite that's, they've that's got him as an 84.8 on coverage which is like really 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 good did he give up any deep shots no, no, really. he didn't. mostly intermediate. Yeah. They're giving him the, well, he had the one interception, the big interception. <laughs> uh, Is that a tackling grade? He was targeted once, gave up no receptions. At least that's what they say. Um, he missed two tackles. So I'm not, I feel like he missed a lot more than two tackles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's maybe that's part of it. Is our estimate of tackles that should have been made. And from what it sounded like, Pete Carroll talking that he was like out of position on a few plays, like the um, Robert Woods um, end around or something like that, mm. um, or whatever that play was, where Robert Woods like ran like forty yards. All right, well we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but that like jumped off the page to me. I was like, what? Like he he was nearly at an Earl Thomas level, really? There's no way. Yeah, I don't think so. And I was much by the more way, impressed they had, with Flowers. What's that? I was much more impressed with how Flowers played than. We're not talking about him. He's quietly playing well. Seriously, like he's not a stud, but he's not giving up deep bombs. Has it? I mean, I don't think so. No, I mean he had that great. He did create a meaningful turnover in that game um, at the at the goal line. And he was a fifth rounder, sixth rounder. Yeah, something fifth like that. Rounder. So, yeah, I mean, he had one penalty. Um, I mean, on the year, you know, from a coverage perspective, he is still not doing so well. Um, he's one of the worst rated cover corners in football by Pro Football Focus. Um, uh, he's giving up a, a 93.9 rating to passes and sent his way. But, it, but, but that's a foundation to build upon. Like, <laughs> no, seriously. The most important part in the Pete Carroll scheme is that you don't give up the long ball. And that's right. I think that's true. He is staying on top. He is a good tackler, a great tackler potentially. Um, so there does seem to be a foundation going on there. Um, yeah, I'm just looking. At this. Oh, Sapuna Ford was another guy that I think 
we were hoping he got a pretty good grade in limited snaps against the Cardinals. He got a lot more snaps in this game. Um, well, actually, I think he got about the same amount. Um, did not jump out to me and doesn't seem to have graded out very well either. Um, maybe some of that. The Rams, for most people, have the best offensive line in the game right now, or at least this year. So um, that could be part of it as well. Uh, all right. Anything else that we want to talk about? Um, you know, uh, could talk about how bad Justin Coleman and Shaquille Griffin were in that game. Uh, anything else that people do want to talk about before we, we hang it up? Yeah. Way too early question for all of you guys. Do you think the Seahawks will have any big activity around the trade deadline? People are starting to talk about it as it's the end of October as the trade deadline. I think it's like October 30th or something around that. There's some rumors starting to come out. Do you think there's any candidates on the Seahawks for maybe a trade or on other teams? Uh, well, you talked about this a little bit last week. It, and considering that there were rumors that they were waiting for the Rams game to see whether they should trade Earl, uh, and that obviously went disastrously, uh, maybe they should trade Bobby. Oh, they what? Yeah. He's only got what? a year left after this. He's going to be 30. Are you going to... We're going to end up in the exact same place with Bobby that we did with Earl. If you weren't willing to pay Earl, I don't know why you'd be willing to pay Bobby. And why not get in front of it? Everyone says, what would Bill Belichick do? Bill Belichick would trade Bobby Wagner. Especially now, like this team, like two and three, like I think the NFC is shaping up a little bit differently than, you know, we would have guessed and they're actually not like completely out of the playoff picture yet, but you got to figure the season's not going to happen in terms of playoffs and they're definitely not one in the division. And so, yeah, maybe trade, maybe now's the time to trade Bobby. Are you trolling me right now? No, if you can trade him to a contender, if there's some value there, if you can get a little extra because you're doing it mid season and somebody wants to make a push, are you, the question you have to answer is, are you going to pay Bobby? Yes. You're going to pay a 30-year-old linebacker? How much money? Top money? He's going to ask for top linebacker money, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. But they didn't trade they didn't pay Earl. If I they can't... weren't willing to pay Earl, why are they going to pay Bobby? Brian, Jeff, are you taking crazy pills right now? You're on your own. I want to see how you handle this. Are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Bobby Wagner? He's not hold up. I don't even think he's 29 years old yet. I think he's about he will to be 30 by the time his next contract starts. 30 by the next hold up. How Bobby Wagner, 1990 child, is currently 28 years old. You're gonna trade Bobby Wagner. And how old was Earl Thomas in his second to last year with the Seahawks? 29? Eight. 28. Was he actually 28? I thought yes. he was 20. Yes. Earl is 29 right now. He won't be 30 till next year, till May next year. You I have mean, to make I, these I, like these these decisions are are like insanely hard, and trading Bobby is insane. But like, if you don't, you end up where you did with Earl. I, Who do you want to pay? Do you want to pay like Frank Clark, and do you want to pay Jadavion Clowney, and you can pay both. both, sure. But I mean, you're you're just it's all just pushing it around, right? I mean, you got to rob Peter to pay Paul with the cap. So this this is well to me. You keep Bobby. You let KJ walk. Okay, I, I don't I don't think you extend KJ after this year. I, I think you hope that Shaquem takes his spot and really excels with that role. But 
yeah, I'm willing to pay Bobby whatever he wants. Like, what are we talking? 15, 16 a year? Hell yeah. Done deal. Isn't that more than they would have had to pay Earl? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the thing. It's hard to argue this because, like, I was I was on the either pro pay Earl side or trade him. Like, I think keeping him in limbo was weird. Um, I would have I wouldn't really have had a problem with them paying Earl. So, like, paying Earl, Bobby and Earl are two foundational players. I just I don't I don't see this as the same as like the Cam Chancellor situation or the Richard Sherman situation. These are not players who are acting up. These are not players who are like revolting against the front office. Bobby Wagner is a stud. He doesn't complain about shit. He shows up every single day, works hard, and he's consistent. I just I don't I don't I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't think it's fair to argue that. What would you trade Bobby Wagner for? Would you trade him for a first round pick? That starts the conversation. I wouldn't even I, I, I think first round pick is the start of the conversation. I I yeah. mean you're not getting more than that. Like you're not getting the Khalil Mack deal or anything like that. Of course not. But people view him as a, a lot of people around the league view him as better than Keekley. And I think he is. Sure. So you could do you think you could get a first round pick out of it? Maybe. Maybe. You should. You should. You shouldn't settle for less. If somebody calls me asking for giving me a first round pick for Bobby, I think I pull that trigger. Well, really? so what you're really asking, Nathan, is would you trade Bobby for Rashad Penny? Well, or Bobby a, for Jermaine Effetti. That's the thing. There's no guaranteed return Bobby on Bobby for Richard Dow. That's what you're really asking. I mean, what's the? I guess what's the concern over Bobby? Is it injuries? Because age, age, and contract. You pay good players. I'm willing to say that Bobby is going to be successful and excel through age 32, age 33. I'd take that risk. So I'm going to say two contradictory things, and and we're going to have to start getting ready to wrap because I got to get back to packing, you guys. <laughs> but but one, I I am I could get behind a front office philosophy that was I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pay third contracts to players unless we're in contention. Like if, if we're in a situation where we're not clearly contending for a championship, third contract guys are the first to go. And so I, I could get behind that even, and that would be tough with something like Bobby and guys like Earl. Um, I think there are questions about investing in guys that are approaching 30 when you're not clearly about to contend. I think the Seahawks are at least a year away, most likely a couple years away. From accumulating enough talent to 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 do that, if all things align, by that time maybe Bobby's not as uh as, as smart of a place to be spending the money. The other thing I'd say is, I think Bobby's going to be a, a, can be a contributor in, in the middle linebacker position for a long time. You know, he is he's a sure tackler. He is super fast. So even as he slows down, I think he's still going to be faster than the average middle linebacker. Um, I think he can play at least into his mid thirties if, if that's what he wants to do. And if the team sign him, I wouldn't bat an eye. So those are my two conflicting points of view. Jeff, you have final word on this. Any thoughts before uh, on this topic before we close it up? I think Nathan does bring up a good point because they've just boshed a lot of their forward thinking and a lot of just, they let the value of their players go. But I think one of the reasons they didn't sign Earl is because they knew that they're planning on signing Bobby to the third contract. I believe their models because I do believe, as Nathan indicated, they're going to be very heavy in the pass rush market this year because that's a clear hole in their team. And 
this year really aligned. So I think they've kind of figured out that they couldn't pay both Bobby and Earl, even though they got a ton of cap room. And maybe they made their decision that they got to pay only one of them. Maybe that's Bobby. And I think I think they're going to go after a big pass rusher, and, and that maybe includes signing Clark because they got I think sixty million. So I think that. I think Bobby's going to get extended and I know third contracts have not worked out for this team and they clearly made an indication with Earl, but that's my impression that they couldn't, they kind of figured out they had to sign only one of them and it won't be both of them. So, and in terms of the trade discussion, I think they'd be really stupid if they add any players at the deadline. I think that would be a really dumb idea. They cannot afford to give up picks or assets for the future because things really set up for them nicely to come kind of come back in 2019. They got the cap room. They're starting to see something emerge here potentially so don't give away from your future do not add for maybe a wild card spot that's the dumbest thing you can possibly do see what you can do with this team maybe you slip into the wild card maybe you don't but if you add that's just stupid all right and on that note folks uh we're gonna wish you a fond farewell a thank you to mike stellari for restoring some amount of (laughs) dignity to the Seahawks offensive line. And uh, if you're not already a Hawk Blogger patron, please join at uh, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Hawk Blogger. All the proceeds go to good cause and uh, get to meet some other Hawk Blogger patrons and face- private Facebook group and ask us questions and all sorts of good stuff. And as Evan will always want to remind you, if you have a restaurant, if you have a bar, and you want us to come and promote and bring some friends along with us, um, please reach out, let us know, or share it with your local watering hole. Um, great to do on a road game. Even though I won't be there this weekend, maybe you guys can get something done for, for the London game. So uh, tally-ho, pip-pip, cheerio, all that good stuff. Um, go Hawks.